Welcome, my lords, to the Well-Earned Comforts Podcast. I'm Sam. And I'm Seth. Thank you for joining us on the Walls of Isengard as we explore the many works of Tolkien and discuss life. We're glad to have you as part of the fellowship as there's no telling where we'll be swept off to. Today is a good day. We're podcasting again in a couple weeks, and I'm going to jump into babbling like Butterbur by checking into my brother Seth. How's it going? What's new in life? What's, what's, oh. what's going on? Not much, just one day at a time. I mean, little Evelyn's growing up quicker than than we realize at times. It's kind of crazy because Amanda's staying home with her. And when I get back from work after, you know, a 12 hour day, well, by the time I leave and come home, it's like 13 hours, Mm -hmm. 13 and a half. And I get home and there's always just something a little bit different, you know, like even in just the 13 hours I'm gone she's changed a little bit maybe it's you know how big her smile is or how much she can arch her back or how long she can hold her head up or something like that but it's pretty remarkable just to see how quickly how quickly she changes um but it's it's a blast it's a lot of fun that's awesome sounds like she's just pretty much your world right now (laughs) yeah yeah well i'd say more so that our our world kind of revolves around her so around her nap time and her feedings and uh, all that fun stuff, but that's all right. I mean, that's what you sign up for. Yeah. When does your hockey league start up? Uh, it's already started. My team okay. is one and one. Uh, we lost our first game, which was a bit of a bummer. It was a real close game, but our goalie was injured. Uh, so we had a backup guy in who did all right. But and then the second game, we destroyed supposedly the best team in the league. So we'll see. Really? Yeah, so another game tomorrow night. It'll it'll be good. How often are you playing? Just once a week. Okay, that's pretty. Yeah, cool. it's it's a pretty solid league. A lot of good skaters. A lot of you know people that used to play. So it's fun though. That's neat. That sounds like a lot of fun. Getting out there, being. I mean, you just get to be aggressive. You get to go out and play play a sport and stay active. That's cool. Yeah. Yeah, a lot of people take it more seriously than I do, but it's <laughs> it's still fun. I imagine you don't have to take it that seriously, and you can still dangle around everybody. <laughs> Not everybody. Eh, I'm a little out of practice too. I haven't played much in a few years, but it's mm. it's still a really good time. But how yeah, about you guys? Cool. What are you guys up to? Uh, we are crazy busy. It's been a really busy season. We've got uh, just something pretty much every night of the week. Just went to a wedding yesterday, which was an interesting wedding. Uh, uh, it was like a, I guess, a Greek Orthodox wedding. And so, you know, you think of like my big fat Greek wedding and I'm, I'm not trying to be insensitive here at all. It's just like that, like the you, you watch that movie and then what we saw at the wedding was very, very similar. You know, people like dancing and clapping and going crazy. Like as soon as like for the reception, as soon as the bride and groom came into the reception hall, like everyone started dancing, like they just surrounded them, like put them up on a chair, hoisted them up. And, and there was music going on for probably 30 minutes. Like we were in this hotel lobby and they had already served us our salads, but everybody had to be up at the dance floor, like dancing with these guys. And so it was probably like 30 minutes worth of that. That was, that was interesting. Definitely a new cultural experience for us. And we loved it. We had a lot of fun with it. So yeah, that was a good time, but yeah, we're just, we're just staying busy. We got a lot of groups going on and, um, one that we're really excited about is our foster care group. We've got a home meeting on Tuesday to kind of go over our house to make sure it's up to code with everything that they need. And we're putting in the application process. So, you know, theoretically by the end of this class sometime in like December, 
we can be eligible for for a a, a kid, you know, and we're looking to wow. foster, you know, a kid between the ages of 12 and 17, so a little bit older and I think we both would prefer a boy, but obviously, you know, we'll take take a girl as well, but it's it's just kind of weird thinking that we may go from not having any kids to having a teenager overnight <laughs> and not just any teenager, but a teenager with, you know, possibly a lot of trauma too. And that's something we've been going through in the classes, just talking about how to actually deal with trauma, how to parent through trauma. And it's been eye opening because, you know, I think a lot of the ways I plan to parent, you know, like this is kind of like, this is our house this is my way. You got to respect my rules and my authority. doesn't really work with a kid who's just coming in unwillingly, you know, like, right. like you're not my dad. You, this isn't my house. I just don't have a choice to go anywhere else. And so, you know, obviously it'll depend on the kid and the situation, but yeah, we're just praying through that and excited for the change that could be coming up. But yeah, it's a little crazy. Yeah. No kidding. I mean, I don't know. There's so much that Amanda and I have learned about being parents, even just in, you know, the three and a half months that Evelyn's been around that. Yeah. I can't imagine skipping, you know, 12 years of learning and jumping right into presumably a pretty difficult time of life. Yeah, definitely. I mean, we're thankful. We got a lot of really good people around us, people that have experience with fostering and adopting and all that kind of stuff too. So that, that is definitely helpful and beneficial jumping into the season, but yeah, it's, it's exciting, but yeah, we're just feeling the, the weight of the busy, I guess, so to speak, but yeah, that, <laughs> I'd say that's completely reasonable. Yeah, so we won't have to spend a whole lot of time talking about this, but before we jump into Riddles in the Dark, uh, let's maybe spend like five minutes just, I mean, a lot of people are asking me about the show, my thoughts on that, and we obviously have our our thoughts from the first two episodes, you know, in that one episode that we did, but uh, I'd be curious to hear, like, now we're coming down to the final couple episodes of the se- of the season one, and, you know, where you're at with it, because <laughs> people talk to me, it's like, oh, you're, you're into Lord of the Rings? I'm like, yeah. Like, so what do you think of the new show? I'm like, well... How much time do you have? <laughs> it's like I could I could go into a lot of reasons because I'll say like I don't like it, and then they're like, oh well, why not? And it's like I, I have to explain myself, and that's going to take forever because you don't understand all the things that they're missing or things that they're changing or things that are just bad. And and I can't just say even though I have like it's just bad. The acting's not great, dialogue is horrible, storyline is terrible, character development is garbage. Other than Durin and Elrond, um, I, I enjoy those two, but that's literally the only characters that i think i've actually enjoyed like bronwyn getting spoilers i guess if you haven't seen the show but bronwyn when she got shot with that arrow i was like oh i hope she dies (laughs) like i wasn't like not even in like a a morbid way but i was like i just don't even care about the character like i would not care if she had just died right there or if theo died or yeah i just i don't have any attachment that yeah they they try to i don't know be dramatic and literally i'm not tied to a single character that I mean, Gladrio could die at this point, and I'd be like, "Oh, thank God, the insufferable <laughs> blank is out of the show." Like, and that's Galadriel, who clearly yeah. can't die. But right, I mean, you saw the end of the episode. It's like, oh, maybe she's dead. Oh, we don't know. But in reality, it's like everybody knows she's not dead. But yeah, the story might have gotten better if she was. Like, <laughs> there's just not a single character in this show that I would, if they weren't in it, I'd be upset. Yeah, I kind of feel that way about Durin. I think he's just he's fun and he gives me really good Gimli vibes. And he's I like his acting. I think he's kind of spunky. But yeah, outside of that, it's yeah, I don't I feel like they're ruining Gilgalad 
too with his whole story and very much so and Elrond and Glad and Elrond and Gladriel like the only actual character only actual Tolkien characters they have in there they're ruining I mentioned like in that message that I sent to uh, that podcast group I just mentioned like you know the the one Tolkien character that's supposed to be stealing the show is actually dragging the show down with a boulder the size of Texas (laughs) and that is Gladriel or yeah 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 Gladriel which this story that they're trying to tell shouldn't even be about Galadriel. She should be if they're if they were trying to stay true to the lore, she should be kind of a side character on like a different journey. And this should really focus on Elendil Arfarazon. Mm-hmm. I'm sure you could have Muriel be a pretty big part of it, but it should be really Elizit uh, um Elendil Isildor and Arfarazon. Those should and then Sauron, obviously. Those should be yeah. like the main four characters of the show. Yeah, and when you know when they sailed to Middle Earth already, I was like, I like I read the uh, Akalabeth. Is that what is how you pronounce it? Yeah, the, the fall, fall of Numenor, Numenor. in yeah. in the Silmarillion, and it's just so cool how Farazan. Like, obviously, he's a horrible person because he usurps the the throne and pretty much marries so, his first cousin. Yeah, it's it's super weird <laughs> by force. Yeah, but then but then he 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 sails to Middle Earth and says, "Come at me, Sauron! Like, do your worst. I I can destroy you." And then Sauron's like, "Actually, you know what? Yeah, you might have you might have a chance here. Let me come aboard your ship, go back to Numenor, and just wreak havoc all over you guys." Like, well, I, and the thing too, we're not going to see that. He was getting upset that Sauron in the lore. He was getting upset that Sauron mm-hmm. was calling himself the Lord of Men, and Farazan was like, "No, I'm the Numenorean king. I I am the Lord of Man." Like. Yeah, Sauron doesn't get this title. And so he goes and literally just strips it from Sauron and Sauron just drops to his knees and surrenders without even fighting because of how good the Numenorean army is and how intimidating it is. And it's like, yeah, no, Halber and a Sauron. Cool. What a fun twist in the plot. Like, you still believe that you think? Yeah. Yeah. This uh, yeah. Lord Father guy, I've heard some speculation that he could be maybe Maglor. Hmm. Really? Adar or whatever it is that you're talking yeah. about the elf? Mm-hmm. That'd be pretty messed up. Yeah. And does they... Maglor have one hand? Uh, it was burned because of the Silmaril, and he had worn, like, the glove on his, on his hand, and that's why... Like... We just talked about that yesterday, the... or not yesterday, last... Who did um, Fenrod Re- or it was Maethros? Uh, di- yeah, different yeah. son of Fen. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. But they can't even use Maglor. They don't have the the rights to him. I guess you just don't call him that name and call him Lord Father the whole time. But I don't yeah, know. yeah. But he was also supposedly per the show like one of the first. Mutilated, to like yeah. kind of get corrupted and mutilated, but not entirely. I don't know. Which I kind of like that idea of going a storyline with that route to it. Like if we could have flashbacks through his story, because there isn't a whole lot of information on Tolkien's like how orcs came to be, other than like the little monologue we get from Saruman in Lord of the Rings too. Like mutilated, tortured, you know, turned into these just horrible beasts of elves and men. But I don't know. There were some intense moments. There was some good fighting, like the. Was there though? Well, I think when like a Rondir is fighting the big orc and he's got like the the spike yeah. coming close to his face, like that you was mean the forty the forty five seconds of blood dropping in his open mouth, like <laughs> that it was just... dragged on for so long. And I looked over to Amanda and I said, "Bronwyn's going to come and stab him in the back." Sam, well, style. yeah, 
Everyone knew the, that. <laughs> so then how's it intense? I don't know. It, it visually it was like, I don't know. It was, it was, it was good. But yeah, obviously I knew that was going to happen, but I don't know. Then, then how they just started like stabbing people in the stomach in the, in the tavern was just like as slowly as possible. Like those are some sharp swords. I tell you what, just so easily like, <laughs> yeah. Anyway, all that to say, I think I mentioned to you offline, like a lot of people are saying like, you can't like this. Like if you don't like the show, then you're, you're racist or you're sexist or you know, whatever it is. I'm like, no, I just don't like the changes that they're making. And they're making a lot more changes than they are trying to stay true to the lore. And if I think that's something that regardless of entertainment level, like no matter how much you are enjoying the show, you can agree that they are changing so much. And if you like those changes, fine. Enjoy it. Great. But I don't like the changes because they're trying to do something that Tolkien has already done. And they're trying to do it better. And they're just, I don't know, it feels disrespectful to me. Yeah, no, I, I, I think it is incredibly disrespectful. I, <laughs> I actually read the YouTube comments of a certain YouTube video talking trash on the Rings of Power, and the top comment was, uh, the reason global warming is happening is Tolkien is spinning around in his grave so fast. And I was like, <laughs> well played, well played. That's the cause of global warming. <laughs> like, Wow. <laughs> uh, it's, but it's, honestly, it's not even that. It's, I, it, that's a large part of it for me, but it's lazy storytelling. There's no yep. character development. I'm not Absolutely. attached to any of the characters. I'm not attached to any of the storylines. Like, think about just the whole, the whole Galadriel and Muriel storyline. They spend like four episodes. Oh, we hate elves, and then all of a sudden, Muriel just changes her mind, and all of a sudden, we have volunteers to go to, to go to Middle Earth. For yep. one, they have a fantastic army already. They don't need volunteers, but you know, mm -hmm. let's get men and women both involved by volunteering to go. <laughs> but like the, it just flip flops so quickly and yeah. the whole like Halbrand or sorry, Sauron wants to kill Adar or Adar, however you say his name, Gladriel stops him. And then literally, and says like, no, your thirst can't be quenched by sea salt or whatever the phrase was. Yeah. Um, and then literally, 45 seconds later in the next scene Halbrand stops her from killing him and it's just yeah. like it, that's just horrible storytelling I get what they're trying to do with the the character arc but it just it's lazy and it's boring and it makes no sense and have you noticed this is a small thing but I just it's one of those things that I've noticed and it's irritating the crap out of me whenever Galadriel speaks her mouth barely opens like yeah and that's I, I don't know I, her acting, like, if that's what they told her to do, like, just be this stern face, no smiling, like, stone face girl, that, like, that's fine. She's doing a great job of that. But, like, her, her words don't even seem to be coming out of her mouth because I don't even see her mouth move hardly at all when she speaks. But that's, I mean, that's a small thing. Like I said, doesn't mention, doesn't really matter. But, yeah, I think, like you said, it's just kind of lazy. And they're definitely, one of the biggest things that I have an issue with is just how much allegory they are spilling into this intentionally to make it, like relevant to us today when we've talked about it so many times like tolkien made his work relevant to everybody because it wasn't allegorical you could make mm -hmm. it what you need it to be not force it into well this is about race because it obviously is a lot about race and inclusivity and and all those things are good like the, the message that they're trying to shout out like i don't hate, i'm not against that message but again when tolkien specifically talks about hating allegory and then you just see the allegory that they're obviously trying to put into this is just, again, it's, it seems disrespectful. Yeah, it, it, it is. 
but at the same time, it's like you don't you don't go to Lord of the Rings or most TV shows to get slapped in the face with that type of allegory. It surrounds you enough in the news sure. and everywhere you go to work. Like people disagree and get at each other's throats so much anyways these days just because life is a divisive thing um i mean i guess it's always been but it seems like it's really ramped up in the last you know since 2016 yeah, i agree but life is divisive enough and you don't need to watch a show where they're force feeding it to you nonstop. Mm-hmm. and and then when they try to sound wise it doesn't fit in the story you have galadriel who is probably the least humble person i have ever seen in a tv show mm-hmm. And then she lectures a sealed door about like, oh, don't spit on the whatever she said about being a stable boy. It's a yeah. good job to humble you. And it's like, is she really the person that should be lecturing anybody <laughs> on humility? Yeah. I mean, completely they, agree. They, they try to force feed so many things. And then they also try to be wise and Tolkien-esque. And those two things are just completely at odds. Because oh, yeah. the reason Tolkien's works actually work it's because it flows. Everything makes sense. He spent so much time detailing out every character's story arc, every timeline, every location to the thing so that when things coincide, they made sense. Whereas this yeah. show is just contradicting itself at every turn. I mean, thank mm-hmm. God there were no Harfoots in this episode, but the one before, <laughs> it's like, yeah, it here we are, like, oh, we care so much about our other Harfoots, and then let's knock the wheels off and leave them behind. <laughs> I mean, Come yeah. on. You could say that those are the future Sackville Bagginses, but still, it's <laughs> it's like, yeah. I totally but even Labilia was able to have a turnaround, all right? It's true. That is true. Yeah. Redemption, I, I agree. Yeah, I, I don't know. I just, again, like looking at the, the attachment, like you said, to the characters, think about when Gandalf fell in the Fellowship the first time you saw that. Or even Boromir, who you're supposed to hate pretty much the entire yeah. movie, and his death scene, and you're like, oh my gosh, like that just room like it just wrecked me the first time i saw that yeah i don't feel that towards these characters at all and maybe it's because it's going slow and it's a tv show and they can only get so much in at a time whereas you know you can watch the whole movie in one sitting because i haven't i haven't rewatched any of the episodes once i have no desire i haven't to. either i, I have no desire either. to you know and that's just that's a big sign for me that this just isn't you know the same same quality same attachment it's not that i don't already love the second age stories i love like like i mentioned just reading the silmarillion the the akalabeth and seeing the fall of numenor and all the things that happened like i i love it but then just i don't know watching it on screen with their direction is pretty disappointing but yeah i com i completely agree it's and that makes me it, sad like yeah. it really does i wanted to love this I wanted to love this so badly, like a TV show on the Silmarillion. Let's freaking go. But... And then they don't get the rights to the Silmarillion. <laughs> right. Yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, anyway, that's, we probably spent more than enough time on that. <laughs> yeah. I, again, if you enjoy it, I'm happy for you. I don't understand yeah. you um, at all, but I'm <laughs> happy for you. What really bothers me is when people try to tear down Peter Jackson's Lord of the Rings to, to, pull this up out of the depths of Aura Druin, mm-hmm. if you will. I mean, <laughs> yeah. th- this show is the ring melting. Yeah, And honestly, it's just like, why in the world are people trying to destroy something? Yes, they changed a lot in Peter Jackson's, you know, interpretation of Lord of the Rings. 
but he changed things to make it fit the storyline. And he also, he did it not to subvert Tolkien. He explicitly stated, we weren't trying to put any of our own messaging in here. We wanted to tell Tolkien's story. But he felt like certain things needed to be changed. Do I agree with them all? No. Do I like them all? No. But they were done in good faith in a way to tell a story that people for years said could never be adapted to television. Mm -hmm. And so I don't understand why people are trying to tear that down to try to justify the show. Yeah. (laughs) Like, And then they say, oh, don't compare them. Don't compare them. And then they try to, oh, well, Peter Jackson changed this, this, and this. But don't compare them. It's like, make up your mind. There's no consistency yeah. in your arguments. 100%, man. I agree completely. Anyway, I'm glad. I'm, on, I'm honestly really glad that we're almost to the end of the first season and I can just stop worrying about it for a year. Two years. Two years. It's going to take two, two years before they come. Really? That's what I've heard is it's going to be two years before the next season. It's going to just, there's going to be no momentum. No. Like, they just shot themselves in the foot with this wow unless that's, unless that's they fire all the writers unless they fire all the writers and try to piece together an actual story mm. that's their Jeez. only hope wow all right yeah. <laughs> Woo! all that to say let's jump into riddles in the dark baby let's go so, back Sam. to the books back to the books <laughs> that's what that's exactly what i was gonna say back to the books back to the books back to the books <laughs> Yeah, let's get back to the good stuff here. I'll go first. Right. I'll go first. You got it? All right. I got it. I got it. All right. That never works, does it? No, I can't hear it. <laughs> I'll try it too, but you won't hear it. Okay. All right, hit me with it. Anan Adhelen, Edra Yaman, he said in a commanding voice. Lost the silver the liar. Yeah, what, what is that? <laughs> <laughs> Gandalf trying to open the doors at Moria. Shoot. Yeah. Right. <laughs> I just really wanted to say it in English. I yeah. knew you'd get that right away, but I was just like, I want to read this out loud. No, no, no. So, say it out loud. Say it. Do it again. Just read it. Just read it. It's beautiful. Anan Helen Edro Yaman Fenas Nagrothrim Lastobeth Laman. I love it. Beautiful. All right. <laughs> well, what mean, chapter can... is that in? Uh, that's not technically the Ringo South, still, is it? Tolkien's chapters are so big. Plus, I listen to audiobooks rather than oh, reading, sure, so I never sure. really know what chapters what. <laughs> Whatever is a journey in the dark. Atta boy, well done, well done. Okay, all right. Ten out of ten, Seth. Good job. Yeah, ten out of ten. I love it. All right, all right. See, you're not going to hear it either. Nope, nothing. No, nope, that's weird. All right. What what we're trying to do is we're as we're saying is we're trying to flip the pages to make it sound like you can hear us flipping through them, but obviously it's not working. So disregard. <laughs> All right, all right, all right. Let's see. This one's actually pretty short, so Hmm. I wonder if you can get it. Orc male doesn't keep these thorns out. Not even the leather jerkin is any good. I'm guessing that is the Return of the King uh, when Frodo and Sam's change into their orc clothes after um, the Tower of Sirithungal, or Kirithungal, I guess, depending on how you want to pronounce it. Um, And they're making the journey across to Mount Doom. Um, do you remember the, you're, you're, you nailed it, but do you remember exactly, there's a little, there's a little thing in here. Orc male doesn't keep these thorns out. Not even the leather jerkin is any good. Yeah, that's part of the actual chapter name, isn't it? Like thorns and thistles or something? I, I, no. No? No, it's when they heard orcs coming on the road and 
they oh they jumped jump into off the, a cliff. Yeah, yeah 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 that's right that was pretty good that was only like two sentences and you nailed it so i well mean uh, when else do they talk about orc mail i don't think there's any other eh, well i mean you have to know you have to know the books well <laughs> enough to be able to get to that point right what chap what's what's the chapter name on that one uh land of shadow maybe oh, yeah land yeah. of shadow okay yeah well done though very good very good well, all right. It is time, much delayed, but it is time for the meat and potatoes of the podcast. Seth, uh, we talked a little bit about what is our next kind of direction for our podcasts here. What what do we want to talk about? We talked about the Eagles last week, a couple weeks ago, actually. Um, so what's our next few podcasts going to be about? Well, kind of in line with uh, the Rings of Power, in a, in a sense, um, we are diving into some stuff about the Numenorians. Uh, so this first week or first episode here, we're just going to kind of go over some of the geography, what the island is like, why they get the island in the first place. Uh, and then we'll jump into some of the smaller stories, some of the prominent kings and what they did, and then also the Akalabeth and and the fall of Numenor and what caused uh, what caused them to. Uh, you know, have that giant wave take out the, <laughs> the island. So um, I have to say real quick, uh, yeah. I got to stop you. You are sounding so Midwestern, like your accent, <laughs> like, oh, you know, like when the, wave, when the, when the great big wave comes and, and sinks Numenor. <laughs> Numenor, eh? <laughs> I, Amanda and I catch, like I catch Amanda and she catches me and it's like, oh, wow, this is not taken. This is not taken long. Colorado doesn't have any accent, at least to us. Like they're, you know, it's very, very flat, I guess, so to speak. But definitely a lot of accent. You haven't picked up any southern drawl. Not really. I mean, I say y'all, but I mean that's just a. a I've started saying that up here too. Huh? But it's it's not like the y'all. It's just y'all. Yeah, just Uh, (laughs) y'all. I don't know. Anyway, sorry. Yeah, well, no, no, you're good. (laughs) Um, so kind of to start off, um. The kingdom of Numenor uh, was a island, a giant island that was in the middle of the Sundering Seas, kind of between, I don't know if, how to best say this, probably closer to um, Amman than it is Middle-earth, uh, but it's kind mm-hmm. of in the middle. Uh, so it's it's west of Middle-earth and east of Amman. Uh, it's kind of the, the furthest point of land that's towards the Undying Lands, if that makes sense. Yeah, uh, so the reason this island exists is because after the War of Wrath, when the Valar came back to Middle Earth and defeated Morgoth and chained him away, uh, thanks to Arendil, thanks to Arendil and many others. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but yes, Arendil for sure uh, defeating Encolagon and Caligon uh, definitely helped. Um, but after after this giant battle, the Valar decide to gift uh, the three houses of men, or the Edain. These were the men that were loyal to the Valar that helped fight alongside the elves and the Valar. Uh, and these three houses were the houses of Hador, uh, Beor, and Haleth. Uh, a couple prominent people, the houses of Hador, like the children of Hurin. Uh, Tuor is uh, the father of Erendil. Um so you can see how that how influential that line of of men were, and then the line of Beor is eventually Baron and Luthien, um, and then Haleth is a little less well known, um, 
but there's still some pretty cool characters uh, from that house. But basically, those were all houses of men, except the house of Haleth was led by a woman, which is pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, but they they were all loyal to the Valar, and they helped defeat Morgoth. So uh, the Valar decided to bring up this island from the sea, and uh, the island was actually raised by Ase out of the depths of the Great Waters. Um, so if you remember, Ase was Ulmo's kind of... I don't know what you'd call him. Yeah, protege. That's a good word for it. Um, He was the one that initially turned towards Morgoth Mm -hmm. and his wife uh, prayed for him to Ilovatar and brought him back. Um, So his wife is Uinen, uh, the Lady of the Waters. um, And so she is actually a really big, I guess I'd say, uh, not a, she's a goddess to the Numenorians, but she's yeah. very well respected and loved by them because she calms the waters around the island and, and looks after the mariners as they go out venturing. Um, so Uinen is very important in their culture. Um, and they would often pray to her uh, to settle the seas of Ase. Uh, so the land was established by Aule and it was enriched by Yavanna and even Yanwe, the the herald of of uh sorry i keep getting text messages on my computer and i didn't turn it off <laughs> and our mom is spamming our group chat uh, <laughs> um, <laughs> keeps distracting me um <laughs> uh what where was i you're gonna have to edit some of this out <laughs> no you're good yeah you're um, saying uh yeah yonway the the bear the um, the herald. herald of Manway uh, actually came amongst these specific people and gave them a bunch of wisdom and taught them crafts. And so these these are men above all other men at this point. Um, the Numenorians are not like the lesser men of Middle Earth. They are almost a race of their own at this point. So that's yeah. kind of a little background of uh, why the island is there. Yeah, definitely. And so the island of Numenor was, uh, like Seth mentioned, kind of in in the middle of the Sundering Seas. They could sail to Middle-earth. They could sail to Amon. Technically, they had the skills to do so. Tolkien says that they had really, I mean, they were very skilled mariners. They were kind of what we see in the in the show, and I kind of like how they brought that piece into it. But yeah, they, they had a huge the respect. The sea is right. <laughs> yeah, well. Speaking of yeah. which, didn't um, Elendil say his wife drowned? Ooh, boy. Just point that out. Anyway, sorry. <laughs> the sea is always right. Uh, yikes. Go ahead. <laughs> anyway, they, they could sail wherever they want, but the Valor actually banned them from sailing anywhere beyond what they could see from the coastline as far as going west. So, again, we see the common thread with Tolkien stuff that, you know, going west is is prohibited for the or for the Numenorians beyond the point of where they can see their land. So once they are out of view of Numenor, they got to turn around and go back is the ban that the Valar had put in, put in place for them. And, you know, the Numenorians didn't really understand the band at first and they were okay with it. They were very content with the, the land that they had been given and it was prosperous and they had fun just wandering around and sailing. It was actually like Tolkien mentions, it was an adventure for a lot of the men. Like it was their, uh, like in the same way we would go hiking or you know trail running or hunting it was kind of their their thrill seeking would be just to to 
sail across the seas, stuff like that. So, but the, the reason that they have been restricted to sail west was because Manway wanted to make sure that they didn't have the temptation to seek Valinor, the blessed realm of the immortal, because the, the Numenorians, as we'll talk about a little bit later, they had longer life than normal men, but they were still, like, death was still a part of their, their lives. It was inevitable for each and every one of them, and Manway wanted to make sure that they didn't feel the need to try to go to the undying lands to seek immortality, and that's eventually what we see. Um, but the island was originally called Elena, um, or the island of Elena, which means star words, because the Dunedain were led to it by the star Erendil, as we've talked about a little bit. And because the island was in the shape of five points, the island is the star, the island of the star. And it was 250 miles across from point to point. So not huge, um, but definitely enough space for them to prosper and flourish as a, as a race of men. Yeah, so uh, jumping into kind of the different l lands within this star-shaped island, um, there's five uh, main main areas and uh, one middle area, and that just matches up perfectly with a five-pointed star, uh, which is actually pretty cool. The way the way Tolkien came about this, um, I will say that there is a lot more description of this island in the unfinished tales. Uh, Tolkien goes into great detail about about the shape of the island, the types of trees and flowers and smells and all kinds of stuff. Um, but we, ju I just kind of picked and pulled some of the some of the more relevant things uh, for this, just to narrow it down. Uh, but the first place that we're going to talk about is Forostar, which is the Northland. So if you think the northernmost uh, point of the star is this area, uh, and this was actually the least fertile part of the island and it was described as being incredibly stony with very few trees uh there were shared cliffs and mountains that were on this region that would go right up to the sea and this is actually where the eagles uh decided to make their abode they just that's where they lived was in this part of uh the the island and Tar Manildor, the fifth king of Numenor, and father to Tar Alderion, who, again, in the Unfinished Tales, there's an incredible short story about Alderion. And I would highly recommend reading it because it gives you a very good, deep insight to the Numenorean culture. Uh, mm -hmm. But Tar Manildor, he was, uh, I believe that stands for like King of the Stars or something like that. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. He built a watchtower to go and observe the stars in this northern part of of the island. Yeah, so then we have the Westlands, which were called Un Undustar, or Undustar, I suppose. Um, this was also pretty rocky in its northern parts with uh, lots of high fir woods trees that looked out upon the sea. And it was contained by the Bay of Andune, would you say? And Andunie. 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 Ooh, Andunie. You don't it's have to roll your R's quite as much uh, when... Yeah, <laughs> there's, there's no R's in Andunie. I know, it's just <laughs> Numenor. Oh, yeah, 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 I get you. Galadriel. Yeah, <laughs> but that, oh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> that translates as Sunset Bay, so pretty place. I'd love to, love to check that out. Yeah. Uh, but 
the southern the southerly part was fertile as opposed to the northern portion, but it also contained a lot of trees, big birch and beech trees um, that were at higher elevations and oaks and elms in the lower trees, which is interesting. I mean, Tolkien always talks about trees. Like you can find anywhere he's writing, he's going to he's going to involve trees and he's going to involve them in great detail, which and it just goes to show his love for for nature and trees specifically is he okay. considers them pretty much like their own characters, which I think is kind of kind of cool. <clears throat> but in the south, ents. Yes, <laughs> there's a difference between ents and trees. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> in the south was the Great Bay of Eldana, which contained warmer waters and was considered the most beautiful of all the havens of Numenor. So I can imagine this is where you take your wife after you get married, go on a honeymoon to the Great Bay of an El Eldana, sit on the sit on the beach and enjoy the sunsets, stuff like that. <laughs> uh, but this is also where the white ships of the Eldar or of Erisea, the easternmost part of the city, came the most often because the Valar would still sail over to Numenor and hang out with them every once in a while. So this is where they would they would come um, for for the elves. Elves of the Eldar would come and hang out over in this spot. Um, this location was so beautiful that it was most remembered. It was the most remembered area in song after the fall of Numenor. So, you think about things that continue on after, you know, the destruction of a of a place. This was one of the ones that they would sing about often of how beautiful it was. But only here would the golden uh, Malorn trees, which is Quenya named for Malorn, uh, grow. Some of the fruits of this tree were given as a gift by Tal Eldarion to King Gilgalad of Linden. These fruits would take root in Linden, so Gilgalad gave them to his kingswoman, Galadriel, there she is, and under her power they grew and flourished in the land of Lothlorien. But they didn't reach the height or girth of those in Numenor. He goes into a lot of detail about the flowers and the trees and the sense of the area, as Seth mentioned. Like he, he really cares about this stuff, which for a lot of people is kind of a turnoff for Tolkien's work. They're like, hey, just give me the meat and potatoes. Like, I want to know what's going give on. Give it to me raw. <laughs> give it to me raw. I, I like that. <laughs> that, was, that was pretty funny. Uh, but, but Tolkien's like, no, nah, I'm going to camp here. You, you, need to, you need to be able to picture this without a doubt in your mind. Because, and I wonder where he got that from too. Like, what places did he visit personally? Exactly. That. That's the thing is the way he describes the nature, you can tell that he spent a lot of time in nature. That's the yeah. only way to describe it the way he does is by spending that amount of time in nature yeah. itself. For sure. All right. So moving on here, a uh, couple others. We've got high. Some of these are kind of hard to pronounce. The uh, Hyarnastar. 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 Uh, that's the South. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Roll those R's. <laughs> uh, the Southwest Lands. Uh, so this is the western and southern coasts, and it is a mountainous region with great cliffs, but the eastward uh, areas are where the great vineyards and those lands were very warm and warm and fertile, and a lot of farming took place. And I have this a lot of worms also... for it to be fertile, so. Touche. <laughs> Touche. Well done. Uh, so this is uh, also where the great river of the Cyril ran from the Metal Tarma to south to the sea. So the Metal Tarma is the very middle of the island. That's kind of the king's city. We'll go more into it here in a minute. But this is kind of the great river uh, in Numenor that travels from the Metal Tarma south to the sea. It's right through the Hyranostar, however you say it. This is also where the fisher folk mostly dwelt, and the fisher folk were actually very highly regarded as uh, members of society because fish was 
like the primary source of food for the islanders. So without the fish, they were, you know, in a lot of trouble. So yeah. being a fisherman was or a woman was a very go. good Attaboy. very good uh trade to have. Mm-hmm. Then to the southeast we had the Hiro Hyaro Star. Hyaro Star. We'll go Got with it. that to the Nailed south. It the southeast yep and this is where there were an abundance of trees of many different kinds uh if you go back and read the tale of uh tar eldarion and the unfinished tales this is actually where he goes and creates plantations for trees because Mm. he decides he needs to start just creating fleets upon fleets upon fleets of ships and he chops down a ton of trees but because of the great love for the trees that the numenorians have Tar Aldarion has that as well, not to the same extent as others, but he replanted a tree every time he cut one down because he never wanted to just deplete the beautiful forests. But I love that. This is yeah, uh, but this is kind of what he used to to furnish his ships. Mm. And then on the east, on the far east, we've got the Oro Star, and there's not a ton about this area, but this was a colder land where more, much of the the grain was grown. Gotcha. You know, one thing that I've noticed so far, and I'm trying to think, are there any, like, references to people smoking pipes in the Silmarillion, like, first age, second age? Because we haven't seen Uh, it in the show, and and I just assume that that was always kind of a thing, but maybe that's just a third age invention. Yeah, I mean, if you... Tolkien has that whole, like, history of pipe weed. Yeah, is it in the the appendices? Or the prologue where Mary talks about too, but there, yeah, Mary talks about the history of the pipe weed, and I think he says it's Tobor Hornblower that first put it into a, the weed into a pipe. Mm. Um, so I don't know. I don't think there is actually. Yeah. So it might yeah. just be a third age thing. That'd be interesting to look up. Sorry, that was a super random thought. <laughs> anyway, no, it it makes sense. Yeah, so we're looking at the inlands now. The Mitalmar, so not the Minaltarma, the Mitalmar, um, which at the center of the island is the mountain Minaltarma, uh, sorry, and was used by the Dunedain as the temple to Ilavatar. So again, we've talked a little bit about their reverence for the gods, specifically the one god, Ilavatar, kind of creator, father of all, and how they were very religious people to begin with. Um, but at the summit of this, of this mountain, no building... Um, no raised altar, or even a pile of undressed rocks were there. It was completely untouched. So again, that was their reverence place. If if kings went up there to pray, like they had to do it silently. The, only the kings could talk. No one else could talk yeah. on the top of this mountain. It was very, very hallowed or holy, you could say. Uh, but yeah, same way, no, no tool or weapon had ever been born on the summit. And no one, again, like I mentioned, except for the king, could, could speak. And then we have, uh, the. this is a a festival by the Numenorians. Let me see if I can uh, pronounce it correctly. Erukirme. Erukirme. Erukirme? Sure. Erukirme. Look at the the prefix of the word. I think that's where that kind of gives away. So these are are the three times that the king goes up the metal tarma to pray. Um, So he's praying to Eru every time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's Erukirme. Eru Laetele, Eru Hantale, <laughs> Eru. Sounds good to me. <laughs> Eru Kierme is the coming of the year in the first days of spring. Kind of maybe like a New Year's celebration. 
Uh, Erulatele is in Midsummer. You know, we talk a lot about Midsummer's Eve and, and Tolkien's as yep. a reference for uh, time spot. And then Eruhantele uh, is at Thanksgiving at the end of autumn. I love how the Numenorians have a Thanksgiving. That's great. Yeah. But uh, no bird has ever approached the summit, save, again, of course, the great eagles, who are called the Witnesses of Manway. Uh, in Numenor, this uh, middle island uh, contained Armenelos, the city of kings. That's the city we see in the show. And uh, it was also the capital city, obviously, too. Biggest and brightest. Uh, the majority of the area was pastures, and the Emirate was the chief region of the shepherds. So we see a lot of shepherds in Numenor as well. Yeah, and just to kind of go back to those three uh, holidays or times of worship, that is when the king would go up to the top of the Menaltarma and actually pray mm -hmm. and speak out loud. Uh, Tolkien goes on to describe stuff in there about people were allowed to go up there and stuff, but people very, very, very rarely did just because of how holy the mountain was. Yeah. And of course, even if they did go up, they wouldn't even talk no matter where they were on the mountain, even though yeah. it was only permitted at the, the summit for the, the summit. king to speak, people wouldn't talk no matter where they were on the mountain. Uh, yep. Just a, some pretty cool asides there. For sure. Um, so that's kind of the geography uh, really briefly of Numenor. Again, go back to the unfinished tales. There's a lot more depth on each of these different areas, uh, but it's, kind of hard to talk about geography when you're not looking at a map so if you're listening to this hopefully some of that made sense um yeah you put in a can, really good map in our little doc here you can probably find this on youtube i imagine it's just a map of numenor so i mean you could probably pull that up as you're listening if if that makes it easier for you yeah definitely um so now we're just going to kind of jump into some like miscellaneous numenorian culture uh stuff that you know, I found interesting that Sam found interesting about about the Numenorians. So the Numenorians journeyed everywhere on horseback, and men and women took great joy in riding. Which this is something that is actually pretty interesting. Is they never went to war on horses. So you see horses in the Rings of Power, and the Numenorians never went to war on their horses. They mm. they were reserved for the island of Numenor. Uh, which I thought was interesting, which it I is, don't mind yeah. rings of power changing that. It's not yeah. a big deal, uh, but it is interesting nonetheless. Mm -hmm. And men and women, they treated their and housed their steeds in such honorable places and ways that the horses were trained to answer calls from a great distance. And it was even said that after a certain amount of time, there was such love that was built between the horses and their master that a man or a woman could just cast their thoughts in the direction of their horse and the horse would come, which kind of makes me think of Gandalf and Shadowfax. I was say. Can't hear you whistling. What the <laughs> heck? Come on. That was so. so <laughs> I, I bet you've got the Gandalf summoning uh, whistle for Shadowfax Let me down try. to Let me a try it now. All right, let's hear it. No. No, it's not working. It probably wow. filters out that high-pitched sound. I'm surprised it doesn't filter out the rest of your voice. Okay, that, that'll be edited <laughs> out. Thank you. Uh, anyways, um, so the Edain, or the, the three houses of men, they brought with them to Numenor knowledge and many crafts and craftsmen that were actually taught by the Eldar. So the, uh, the oldest of the elves, they were actually taught 
many of their crafts and they brought with them those highly, highly skilled people. So the island of Numenor could actually flourish with uh, people who were well-trained. But they really didn't bring any materials outside of the tools for their craft. So they're pretty much starting for, from scratch when they, when they came to Numenor. Uh, another interesting thing is they brought many treasures of gold and silver and they loved them for their beauty because they did not find those metals in Numenor, which I think is an interesting thing for Tolkien to toss in there is that any gold and silver, it was highly high and jewels. They were all highly valued because they didn't have them. They, they couldn't be the dwarves and delve down and find it, um, one, which is interesting. One, one metal they did have though. Mithril. Did they? Oh yeah. yeah. I, I think they did. Huh? Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I don't know if I have that in here, I'm, but it, that does sound familiar. Yeah, they, I was I was actually watching because there was that whole like backstory on the how Mithril was created in the show, which I do appreciate. Elrond said like that's kind of folklore, like that's eh, that's a wives' tale. Like he he mentions that, so they're just saying like this is our explanation of how it could have happened. But regardless, <laughs> there's also thoughts that that might be is Glorfindel fighting the Balrog there, which would be kind of cool. But regardless. <clears throat> The mithril was found in Numenor in certain places, and huh. like from Tolkien's actual, yeah, writings. sure, sure. I'll have to, I'll have to look more into that. I didn't, I, it, it rings a bell, but I can't remember exactly where that's from. So I'll have to look into that more. Um, moving along here, in the early days of Numenor, the elves of Arisea, which is kind of the easternmost island of Amon, of the Undying Lands, it's like a little city island just off the coast of Amon in Valinor. Uh, these elves actually brought gifts, a ton of gifts, over to, to the Numenorians. They brought things of gold and silver and jewels, and again, they were highly prized due to their rarity. Um, in the story of Tar Alderion, they actually bring wedding gifts to him and his wife. Mm. And a couple of the wedding, one of the wedding gifts is actually really cool. It's a couple of birds that are from Valinor and they just fly around and the elves are like, Oh, we named you. So you don't need to do anything. They'll just follow you around and sing sweet songs. Basically. That's awesome. Uh, which I thought was pretty cool. <laughs> That's so cool. Yeah. Uh, but the people of Numenor, they did find copper and they were able to smelt iron and those things became very common. So if you think they don't find gold, silver and jewels, but they find copper and are able to make iron. So they are able to get, you know, weapons and tools and everything that they need. They became masters in forging swords and axe blades, spearheads, knives. But in reality, they didn't need these things. They were on an isolated island to themselves. They all got along at this current time. So mostly they just used their skills to, to build things that would, you know, help with farming or, you know, the lumber yards or whatever it might be for crafts. Uh, the Weaponsmiths Guild, although still made the weapons and most spent most of their time creating those, uh, those weapons and everything, and... It was interesting because no man save the king, and, and that's more in like a ritual way, but nobody else, no man save the king, really wore a sword throughout the early days of Numenor. There were many competitions of archery, both from foot and on horseback, uh, and that was considered like their sport and pastime. 
In the later days, the bows of the Numenorians were the most feared by their enemies, and it was said that, quote, the men of the sea send before them a great cloud as rain turned into serpents or a hail, a black hail tipped with steel, mm. which I think is just beautifully written. If you like, that's terrifying. Yeah. Yeah. The I would not want to be on the sea- receiving end. No. Let me read it again here. The men of the sea send before them a great cloud as rain turned into serpents or a black hail tip with steel. I mean, no, thank you. No, not at all. And it's it's interesting, like you mentioned, like the Numenorians had no need for weaponry really at all in the early days. And they're very peaceful people too. Um, yeah. They just kind of, like you said, like to have fun and, and sport around with some of this stuff. Um, and they actually, like they, they sailed over to Middle Earth a, a fair amount in the early days too. And they would do so unharmed. Their ships would come in unharmed, you know, aside from those uh, weapons for needed for hunting or felling trees for their ships. Like they didn't need to, go to battle for anything. Uh, but beyond all of their pursuits, the men of Numenor took delight in the sea, as we've mentioned. They love swimming, diving, or small crafts for contests for speed. So, you know, think of like little, uh, either maybe surfing competitions that they had, or uh, cool. <laughs> little <laughs> sailboat competitions. Imagine uh, seven foot 11 is, uh, Elendil <laughs> <laughs> on a surfboard. <laughs> Be so cool. Uh, but from the fisher folk came the mariners, who, as time went on, grew in importance and esteem, as we mentioned, because, you know, obviously they needed, uh, they needed a lot of uh, fish and resources. So it was the fisher folk. It was said that when the Edain first set sail to follow the star to Numenor, that with each ship there was one of the Eldar, commissioned by Sirdan, the shipwright, to captain the ships and share their craft before returning to Middle-earth with their ships. So again, you have that relationship, as we've seen in the show, you know, the, the elves and men apparently hate each other right now in the show. But before, it wasn't always like that. You know, Sirdan is, is one of the Eldar, one of the elves. And he's obviously, you know, on their side. He's, he's hanging out with them. And that happened a lot in the early days of Numenor. Yeah, Cairdan the Shipwright taught the Numenorians a lot about shipbuilding and navigating the seas and his, his, uh, his other elves that he commissioned to take them to Valinor, they basically just taxied them over there. They followed, you know, the star of Arendelle in the sky and they taxied over everybody, dropped them off and said, build your own ships. We're out. (laughs) (laughs) I I just find that as uh, kind of funny. And you had um, to you had to correct my pronunciation. It's Kirdan. I did it very subtly. Yeah, it was. I did it subtly. (laughs) I don't know. I could be wrong. I've just always heard Kierden. Yeah, I I, get, I keep forgetting that you yeah you listen to it, and so you have like somebody that, else's pronunciation, which is probably true. more correct than mine. But I I mean, reading it, that's yeah different. Just a quick aside: Amanda pr- pronounces some words so differently than I do, and it's like it's because she reads them and comes mm-hmm. up with the pronunciation on her own, whereas I listen to audiobooks and I hear it from somebody else. So it's. Yeah, yeah, just yeah. that's interesting. Hmm. Um, so as many of you know, the Dunedain uh, or the men of Westerness or Numenorians, that's, you know, Aragorn, the line of the kings. Uh, they were gifted with long life, several times that of the men of N- Middle Earth. Um, however, death would still come upon them. Sam mentioned this earlier. That's really ultimately what brings uh, the fall of Numenor is the fear of death. However, they still lived for multiple lives. Um, multiples of the lives of men uh, and they were very tall uh, and their eyes shone like this that of a starlight I know I just joked with Sam but Elendil in the show 
doesn't really look it, but his name is actually Elendel the Tall, and he's seven feet eleven inches tall. Crazy. Uh, just kind of crazy. That's so, like eleven inches taller than Shaq. Yeah, I mean he's yeah <laughs> he's crazy. I mean him and Gilgalad took out Sauron, so he had to be true, pretty true. had to be pretty darn impressive. Yeah. Um. So Elros was the brother of Elrond, and this is kind of going back to the the half-elven, or where did these specific line of Numenorians come from? Um, and this was Elrond and Elros, the sons of Elend- of uh, Arendel. Yep. Uh, they were given the choice, do you want to be an elf or do you want to be uh, a man? And Elros, the brother of Elrond, actually decided to be a man. And so this is where his line lived far longer than even the Numenorian line. They were of the half-elven line. Um, so he actually lived for 500 years, and he ruled for about 90 of them. And under the protection of the Valar, like we mentioned earlier, Ase and Uinen, uh, the Dunedain grew very strong in wisdom and remained in good faith with the other Eldar. Uh, elves like Galadriel, though they never really met at this point. Yeah, um, And, and but, just to correction, he ruled for 410 of those years, not 90. He Oh. He lived yeah. for 500 years, but yeah, yeah, yeah. Yep, that is, thank you for correcting that. I misread it. It says, ruled for all but 90 of them. So Correct. that's yeah. my bad. Um, and the people of Numenor became incredibly mighty in craft, especially crafting great ships, and they mastered the art of sailing, and for adventure's sake, they'd often just voyage out on the open sea, which I know I keep referencing Tar Eldarion, and we'll get into him in a future episode a bit more, but he actually founded the guild of venturers uh and that grew highly in esteem with you know all the people of numenor and it kind of showed their venturous adventurous spirit and everything like that i love it so question for you seth if you were given the choice to be man or elf (laughs) what would you what would you choose i've always said that i'd be of the race of men if i if I had to choose, um, yeah. I think, I think it depends. Like a more nuanced answer would be depending on what age. Am I born in mm. the first, second, or third age? If I'm born in the first age, I definitely would prefer to be an elf. I'd have yeah. been like, also, <laughs> I'd have been, you know, one of the elves that you know started to see the kinslaying at Alcolande and been like. I'm staying here. You guys go do your thing. <laughs> go, go chase down Morgoth. I'm going to hang out here with the gods and the undying perfect lands and live a happy life. <laughs> yeah. Um, but if I was born in the second or third age, I would probably probably want to be, you know, uh, a Numenorean. Hmm. What it. about you? I'd be a dwarf. I'd just wow. say, screw it. I'm not going to be either one. I'm going to be a dwarf. <laughs> <laughs> sure. With my roaring fires, my malt beer. Red meat off the bone. Uh, I would probably choose man as well. I I really yeah. don't like the idea of deathlessness. I guess, especially because you know, and I'm a very uh, very obvious Christian, and just knowing that there's a better promise on the other side of death than life could ever give us on this earth. Like that's something to give me hope. And you know, I'd, obviously, I'm not looking to die anytime soon. But when that happens, I'll yeah, I'll be ready to go. And I feel like even though there was a lot of uncertainty in Tolkien's world about death and for men. And obviously that's why they, that's what led to the fall of Numenor. They're chasing immortality, but you know, I, I, I would believe, especially as Tolkien being a Catholic, I'd believe that 
that Ulatar has a pretty cool plan for men after they die. I, yeah, I would hope so. That it, that is interesting because you're looking at that from a perspective of a Christian, not in Middle Earth in today's world. Yeah. You know, you believe in the afterlife and you know a greater world after this one, a greater life after this one, which. Tolkien never really fleshed out what happens to men after they die. However, when an elf dies, their Feia or their spirit, yeah. it gets sent to the halls of Mandos, and after an age of the world, they get to be basically reincarnated and live with their friends and family in Valinor. Mm-hmm. So to me, the elves almost have more of... I don't know. They, it's almost like a Catholic faith and Catholic sure. you know, purgatory in the halls of Mandos, and then sent back to heaven if you will uh, but you have to actually die for that to happen like and and somebody has to like kill you or you have to you know death has to come upon you rather than true like if you just stay alive you're just alive like the rest of the time okay i yeah. mean I, and i, and I guess and if you i don't know if you kill yourself like what what does mandos do with you then i, I don't know but... <laughs> he's like nah you're stay. you're, you're yeah, stay. That, <laughs> that doesn't work that doesn't count don't hasten your end I mean, well, I mean, th- if you think about it, like the Catholics do believe that that is an unforgivable sin. That so is true. And so, if if he does have that kind of ideology with the, you know, with the thoughts of the elf, the elven reincarnation idea, I don't know. It's interesting stuff to think about. I mean, obviously, like you said, there's there's nothing that really points to men having a an awesome heaven. But at the same time, I feel like it was it was presented kind of as a gift to the men like death was a gift to them and so i assume that you know that was there's something good on the other side but yeah which the numenorians as you'll we'll discuss later decided that the gift of death was not actually a gift after all right right yeah and they go crazy but we will talk about that in a future episode because right now gondor is going to call for aid we're breaking into the halls of metaseld and we're shouting gondor calls for aid will you rohan answer if you liked the podcast please light a beacon of your own by sharing it with fellow friends and fans and don't forget to like subscribe and leave a review all those good things we'd love to hear what your thoughts are on the podcast and send in your thoughts too on rings of power if you're loving it or if you're hating it whatever your thoughts are and we'll probably share them on the uh, on the podcast here especially if you have a tolkien story something that you want to share how you got into tolkien and what his life his work has done in your life we'd love to share that on the podcast you can email me at weckpodcast at gmail.com Like we said, we're going to be continuing our discussion on Numenor, especially the kings of Numenor next week. So until then, we bid you a very fond 